0: Welcome to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, our show about the current trends and events within business, tech, fashion, design, culture and more from the Nordic perspective of our team of editors and contributors. Today on the program, the Swedish startup ecosystem is Europe's highest per capita, according to New Report. Uh, We're also going to talk about why Web2 investors aren't cut out for the Web3 world. Also, Epic Games is acquiring music platform Bandcamp, and we pay tribute to an iconic magazine retailer in Stockholm. I'm Connor Olsen, editor in chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind, and I'm here as usual with Roland Philipp Kretschmar, editor at large, and a junior editor, eric Sedin. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Quite an eventful week for all of us. I think we're all in this kind of uh, uh, you know twenty twenty two bubble of working hard, um, but we're going to take a look at some some of the stories that we've been publishing online this week because our uh, senior editor U1 has been busy, even though he's he's uh, back in his prime, traveling around Europe right now. He was in wow. Helsinki last week. Yeah, in. in he was in Helsinki last week. He is, was in Copenhagen this week and he's going to Paris next week uh, for various uh, presentations and trade shows. So yeah, really we're 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 back at some kind of prime. I don't know what
1: what that means. I think he was, actually, be- he was actually in uh, in Tampere. He was a little bit the hipster choice, not even Helsinki. Infinite. exactly exactly even better
2: wow but i, yeah, I think yeah. i should reevaluate my my position on declining all press invitations
0: <laughs> maybe <laughs> i should start to evaluate them <laughs> for sure there was this, there's lots to experience out there but it's also a lot uh lots of work to do on, on the home front. so we're happy we have you on. Uh, but he's also been busy publishing uh, stories um just just mention. um a new exhibition at the Röskan Museum in Gothenburg just opened uh, the other day with uh, uh, a, f- a few of the most interesting sort of upcycling and high fashion brands uh, uh, out of out of Sweden. We have Rave Review Review, Hudakova, uh, Ayaya and, and uh, Luis Chin uh, are all there. And uh, so we we highlighted that. That's worth checking out. We also published the first story from our uh, next print issue, which will be out next week. So I'll say next week's pod is going to be uh, uh, the big uh, issue three podcast. We'll, we'll look at that. But we have our first story out. It's... Uh, uh, Nana and Simon Wick, uh, founders of the Copenhagen-based design and fashion label Division, which we highlight. Also, upcycling brand. There's a lot of those coming out. And I think, um, coincidentally, I don't know why, but the upcycling brands are, are currently also the most kind of interesting from a fashion and design perspective. There's There's something interesting happening there. And, of course, we are... Um, covering it. But I thought we'd just uh, take a little closer look at a story that was published the other day um, um, about a report from Tillväxtverket, uh, a short name with a long English title, Swedish Agency for Economic and Regional Growth. Um, They have a program called Startup Sweden to support Sweden-based tech entrepreneurs and companies. And they have now published uh, a report uh, uh, on the sort of value of the the Swedish ecosystem so last year Swedish startups secured a record 7.8 billion euros in uh, VC investments and what uh, what is the
2: um, I mean what's the benchmark here how, how do do we compare to other countries in in Europe do you know
0: yeah, well, according to the article, uh, the the uh, the value uh, two hundred and thirty nine billion is is the highest per capita. Uh, we have thirty five unicorns founded in Sweden, uh, twenty plus future unicorns as they list uh, in this platform. I don't know how they calculate that, but um, it's also worth mentioning that Tillväxtverket uh, um, together with uh, Business Sweden, Vinnova, and the Swedish Institute, uh, some of the like like a like a, like a power group of these uh, Swedish institutions working uh, to support the the, the industry. They have now launched a new digital platform called Sweden Tech Ecosystem, where according to Lisa Nudlund, the communications manager at Startup Sweden, uh, where they're showcasing data on Swedish startups and scale up. So this is something, well, it's also a new report, but you can also uh, um, follow this trajectory on this new platform. All right, we have an investment theme on this show this week. Uh, We're now going to look out globally into the world and talk about why Web2 investors aren't cut out for the Web3 world. There's been a story out uh, this week. Roland, you've been looking into this. uh, Set this up for us.
2: Yes. So first, a disclaimer: I'm by no means any expert into either Web 2 or Web 3 investment. So you know, this is really a layperson's uh, kind of uh, perspective on this. However, I think it is interesting. It's a trend. I think it's it's worth to observe and follow uh, from Scandinavian mind because I mean, just given the the, um, the update we 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 had just uh, now about. Um, The startup scene in Sweden, Mm. Uh, the startups that we we are talking about are mainly Web2 startups, right? So let's see how many Web3 startups will emerge from from Sweden or Scandinavia. Shall we do
0: just a short primer on Web2 and Web3 before we move on? Uh, Sure. I mean...
2: Quickly, Web 2 is basically what you experience at the moment. That's the current websites, platforms, uh, apps, services that you experience. Mm -hmm. Then we have uh, Web 3, which is more built on a decentralized blockchain kind of structure uh, where you have uh, some of the metaverse platforms. uh, You have the whole area of crypto. Um, So, yeah, that's in short, Um, but Google it, I think that's the best way to deep dive. There are many different ways of describing the differences between Web 2 and Web 3.
0: Well, this goes to the heart of the story you're about to tell. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean,
2: it is an emerging area and um, as always, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but there is obviously a lot of interest from investors in this, uh, also given that in the past year we've seen huge boom in nft sales which we talked about a lot in the podcast we've seen uh, obviously you know a lot of development in the crypto area for the mm. past couple of years so i it's understandable that also let's say traditional venture capital firms and investors and angel investors want to go into web3 projects uh, but it can be legally tricky um, I mean, looking at generally speaking, and, you know, again, by no means I'm an expert, but to my understanding, uh, a a traditional venture capital firm only invests up to 20% of the funds in liquid assets. And this is, uh, I mean, as a starting point, a challenge that, you know, the the venture capital firms have to rethink the way uh, they invest and, 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 and uh, how they dis- distribute their investments. And w- we've seen some examples in the in the past month's year uh, of big VC firms setting up crypto specific or web3 specific investment funds. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Sherry Ventures and our uh, cover star Sophia Benz, who is leading that latest fund. I mean we should talk to her about this and, and, and unbox it. But, you know, generally speaking, also, the, the whole area of Web3 is uh, by default, um, let's say, hard to control. I mean, the whole idea of decentralization is obviously to distribute control and ownership, right? So exactly. that is, is in itself kind of complex for an investment firm, right? Um, and a lot of these founders uh, in, in the Web3 space, and I would say specifically in crypto, they are also quite... Um, let's say rebellious and you know they they are there to kind of disrupt the current uh, financial model and system so i i would say that a lot of these crypto founders they either want to stay anonymous by default which is in itself a challenge right if you're an investor yeah and also um they usually don't want single investors to own more than a couple of percent or five percent you know they So there is this kind of philosophical difference uh, at this moment, at least in time, um, where the Web 2 and Web 3 uh, founders, um, you know, have a different philosophy on what they're here to do, what their place is in the financial ecosystem, etc. And then, you know, the list goes on and on, you know, but I mean, there, there is the... The legal aspects of it, you know, it's 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 um, hard for anyone to understand truly the the legal consequences of these different uh, Web three platforms, blockchain, this decentralization. It's 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 really hard. Um, it's it's. Uh, but on the other hand, this is also the beauty of um, let's say blockchain. It's the legal aspects. It is the contract that comes. Mm. Um, uh, with, with, with the transaction that is uh, traceable, uh, it, it's fixed, it's, uh, you know, permanent or eternal, how, wh- whatever you want to look uh, name it, right? But yeah. it's yeah. And, and then there is the, um, this exit part, which is also important, obviously, that, you know, there's uh, obviously as an investor, you want to do an exit. Now, there are different mechanisms of how you do exits in web in the Web2 space. Uh, I think the IPO is maybe the most, let's say, um, uh, common one if you want to do big exits. Uh, But in in Web3 space, it's a bit different. We haven't seen many examples yet. I mean, yes, we've had um, uh, some some companies that have listed, but uh, not that many. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, listen, again, uh, I'm not an expert. I think it's interesting to observe. I think we should unbox this. we, we're probably going to read much more about it in the next year or years. Um, so, yeah, that, that's basically the, the the kind of backdrop to this story. I don't know if you have any spontaneous comments, Conrad or yeah. Eric, on this.
0: No, no, no. I think it's super interesting that you you, you bring this up. And I, it's one of those kind of ongoing stories that, that the whole uh, ecosystem and, and the whole industry is trying to sort of wrap their heads around and trying to figure out. Uh, the next steps there has been quite a lot of debate around this topic uh, uh you know the past few months there was a uh, very famous tweet by jack dorsey who uh who recently uh, uh quit the ceo of his uh, company twitter to just c- completely focus on his company it's called block now i think yeah, yeah. but they have a um a payment system called Square, and he's really into uh, crypto and blockchain. But, but uh, he had a tweet that said, you don't own Web3, the VCs and their LPs do. Uh, so the, the venture capitals do. <laughs> it will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into. And I think that, that was point, one of the... Sort of iconic statements from a, a person who's really, you know, kind of pro blockchain. Um, but but uh, uh, and, and I, I know he's been into quite a lot of debates with with sort of some of these big investors and Andreessen Horowitz and and and, uh, and so forth, who ha- has created, as you said, I think in Andreessen Horowitz uh, they have a famous uh, investor called Chris Dixon, who who uh, um, he, he's leading up their kind of. Uh, uh, um, the Andreessen Horowitz crypto, a special entity which invests in these types of technologies, but it was interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing this up because when you started talking about this, I I, I remembered an article or blog post by uh, Scott Galloway, a famous podcaster, yeah. lecturer, um, a professor in 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 the US. Uh, he has a podcast called Pivot and a podcast called Prof G Show that which I recommend. But he had a, he had a blog post in January where he. Highlight. He's very good at doing graphs and, and, and stuff, highlighting mm-hmm. different uh, data on this topic. And he highlighted the fact that, I mean, there's huge inequality in crypto right now. And that could yeah. be due to the fact it's a new technology. But it's interesting that something that proclaims to be decentralized kind of for the people, by the people type of thing, uh, where 95% of all Bitcoin... Uh, which uh, by then was valued at $800 billion, is owned by 2% of the accounts.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, Nobody, so yeah.
0: It's like the majority of all Bitcoin mm-hmm. is owned by a very small group of, of people, right? And mm-hmm. I think the ratio for NFT market is about 80-20. So 80% of, of the, all the NFTs are owned by 9% of all the uh, uh, accounts out there but you you have a good point there i mean and and i think we're
2: unboxing different um topics here connected obviously uh but just to touch on on um, jack dorsey's uh tweet there that Mm. I, i think that is also part of the problem that we're talking about web3 it can in the worst case just be remembered as this kind of marketing buzzword um to be honest like i right. think we discussed this in the podcast earlier you know what what is the what's what's our prediction on on the future of web3 and you know uh, as a term uh, right as an umbrella <clears throat> comparing it to maybe the, the um the trend around vr ar mm. 5 10 years ago right um but i i still think there is something interesting in the fact that the traditional venture capital firms, and especially the LPs behind, the limited partners behind the, the basically the, 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 where the money comes from, that and they are they don't understand Web3. Mm. Uh, and I think that is something fundamental because there is a philosophical shift in how we view uh technology. Then there is the other side of the coin, as you say, Conrad, that yes. There is a huge inequality within the Web3 space, within the crypto space. I, I I would even push it to say that, you know, the ma- big majority are owned by white uh, guys <laughs> or guys at least um, as well, right? So it's not only an I- inequality in, in, in uh, let's say, ownership. It's also mm. inequality in, in who owns it. Um, so that's going to be a huge challenge. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 we could go on, I, I guess, for the rest of the day and unbox this topic. But uh, fundamentally, at the end of the day, the story here is if you're interested in investment, if you're interested in new technology, um, it's not a given that you would understand how to no. invest in, in the Web3 space. No. And yeah. I... Um, sorry, just one more comment. I'm also, I mean, again, not an expert, but have not yet seen um, VC firms coming out from the crypto space. So I oh. assume that at the moment, the big investments in crypto comes from within the community uh, from maybe as you, you you point out here, Conrad, s- certain individuals which have huge assets in crypto mm. uh, and they reinvest it within the crypto space. But I have not yet seen any... Sort of VC structure formed coming from the crypto space by cryptopunks right so yeah
0: it's worth investigating more I think it's also isn't it also so that that the investments and, and stuff that are happening are happening on, on kind of two levels uh, one is kind of stuff that is actual crypto I mean new coins. Uh, uh new crypto uh assets nfts and so forth and the other is kind of uh different services that that's layered upon them uh which mm. which are run by more like traditional companies yep. uh so i think that's a, a difference as well i think uh, many investors going into this are kind of investing in companies like that are creating new wallets and and and, and stuff like that that service the crypto yeah uh, exactly e- ecosystem whereas um uh, something that's actually in crypto, <laughs> where the assets are on the blockchain, that's where it gets much, much more kind of murky and and, and difficult to to assess. And I, also just extracting value uh, from crypto into sort of fiat-based currencies and traditional you know uh, values, I also think the the sort of juries out on how that will happen. I have I have friends. Just as a side note, anecdotally, but I have friends who, who are very highly invested in, in different uh, you know, blockchains and, and, and cryptocurrencies and it just it, there's a huge issue on how to, how to bring them back into like a Swedish Krona or a Euro and so forth. It, 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 it doesn't come naturally. There's a lot of costs involved in it. And since the ecosystem is so volatile and fragile... Uh, you know, exiting a, a cryptocurrency that you have perhaps invested in could crash the whole thing, right? Uh, yeah, no, so- that,
2: that's a good, that's, that's. A, I mean, basically two good points again here, Connor. One is on the fact that the big investments that we see coming maybe from the more Web2 space or, or traditional VC firms is, is around the infrastructure, right? So creating mm. all these services, platforms, as you say, that serve the crypto community. Uh, and this is maybe what uh, Jack Dorsey is alluding to, right? That um, at the end of the day, the whole space is still controlled by traditional VC firms or, or investors uh, or, because all the services that we see, the major services or infrastructures uh, are still dominated by traditional VC money. But the other topic that you bring up is, is, is very, very interesting. I mean, if being a crypto billionaire doesn't mean that you're a billionaire. <laughs> I mean, yes, on paper, you're a billionaire. But as you say, mm. as, as soon as you want to realize your funds, um, then it can either crash the system or it's too expensive to, to um... yeah, I mean, there's a lot of issues uh, related to that. And I, I think we've seen many examples in the press on that topic, right? Like, you know, we, we they're basically crypto billionaires, but still living in this kind of one bedroom or studio <laughs> flat in a basement
0: somewhere, you know, because they can't they can't realize their funds. Yeah, exactly. And, and it goes back to uh, something we talked about last week that a lot of the activity in NFTs and, and so forth is is run uh, by this this sort of uh, inner crypto uh, circle the the, the, yeah. the people who are active in it. And I think I mean there was actually I can't remember the name of him, but, but the guy who bought the people. Um, uh, artwork for 69 million uh, uh, dollars uh, la- I think it's coming up uh, like exactly a year ago now I think it's in mm-hmm. March mm-hmm. last year uh, that guy there was an interview in uh, Financial Times your favorite uh, uh, weekly Roland uh, he talked about why he bought this and that why the, why he will never never sell it uh, but it was it was obvious that this is a guy who's been invested in, in cryptocurrencies for a long time and that's where he has a lot of value stored in in Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I think that the, my point here being, I think there is um, for for people who are trying to grasp. These concepts right now, trying to understand how these markets work, maybe want to go in because they feel like there's a, this huge opportunity. I mean, sixty nine million, right, for one JPEG. We mm. gotta get in there. We gotta we, we gotta buy stuff. We gotta produce stuff. We gotta sell art, and and, and many mm. people are trying, but you know, eighty five percent of OpenSea is, I've understand it, you know, based on art that that's either you know fraudulent or copies or things that doesn't move or, or doesn't sell. Um, so the point here being there's still this kind of disconnect between uh, the emergent crypto world and traditional, uh, uh, you know, traditional e- ecosystem. And that's that's pretty much what why we wanted to talk about this subject here. Yeah. And, uh, and may,
2: maybe this is the last comment uh, today on this topic. But, um, you know, we discussed a lot NFT art, obviously, and art, uh, the, how the art space has been Quick at accepting uh, cryptocurrencies as payment et etc I mean and that's obviously uh, a, a way out of the I mean you have huge assets in crypto, you can buy art and then you can sell that art for fiat currency and obviously that has been debated a lot it's it's kind of you know you, you, you could wash a lot of uh, illegal uh, money in this way I mean so yeah it's 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 a space that is complicated, hugely fascinating. But again, tying back to the original story, um, let's see how the VC world will move into this space. Let's try to get some guests
0: on the podcast on this topic. Wonderful. As always, uh, we are trying to grasp concepts and asking a lot of questions. We'll certainly get back to this uh, topic. All right, next up, Epic Games is acquiring the music platform Bandcamp. Eric, you've been looking into this. Tell us what this story is about.
1: So, yeah, this story is around two weeks old now. Uh, so it's been marinating at the very back of my mind for a while now. So I have some takes. And uh, the tech world in general has a lot of takes. i am really reading news about this daily for like two weeks now. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. basically just a little uh, background check. If you don't know what Bandcamp is, it's... Um, it's a music platform, but it's more like an online record store, like a music community in one. So mm. kind of like MySpace in a way. And it was started because musicians wanted to fight these big, bad tech uh, companies, the big, bad wolves Spotify, Amazon, Apple, that just don't give small musicians any money. They, don't, they take too much commissions, you know. Um, and uh, that's why it started. And Bandcamp actually, uh, the artists and the bands and the labels, they get, they get 82% of all sales which is crazy when you compare it, you know. All right. And uh, they even have something called Bandcamp Fridays, which is once a month. And uh, it's an initiative by Bandcamp where they give (laughs) all of the money brought in to the artists and the label. So 100% the artist gets one day a month, uh, which is quite crazy when you think about it. But still, since 2012, Bandcamp has been really profitable. And, you know, only last year, which I thought was interesting, is... (laughs) People spent 206 million dollars on on that platform, and they spent it on digital albums, like for download, uh, digital tracks. But they also spent uh, on vinyl records, CDs, and what I thought was interesting was they bought 500 thousand cassette tapes through Bandcamp. So even cassette tapes seem to be (laughs) coming back. I love it. And then general merch and t shirts (laughs) and stuff,
0: of course. Wonderful.
1: So that's a bit cool. But the thing is here: why? What does Epic want to do with these? You know, kind of like. Organic, bare feet, kind of smelly indie bands. That's what a lot of people are kind of trying to get their head around. And I guess, like the Scandinavian mind podcast take is, they're gonna enter the metaverse. They're gonna be like this this big conglomeration step. They're gonna really step into the metaverse, and they need music, and they need social gatherings and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, for example, the uh, the new Batman movie, or like the new Star Wars movies, or the Mandalorian. Like they kind of, Epic Games owns uh, Unreal Engine which is a 3D program, which is kind of been like the green screen killer, you know. So if you've seen the new Batman movie, they're not really using green screens. They're using artificially built 3D environments. And then it's there's, a, there's that.
0: a wonderful uh documentary you can see if you have Disney plus on how they recorded Mandalorian in what they call yeah, the yeah. volume, which essentially is a <laughs> is a round big studio where they project landscapes and stuff uh in on the right. walls so that the actors uh actually see the environments and they're they're not in this kind of green <laughs> in, they're not in they're in real suits and they see a, kind of a real landscape around them and uh, you know that has more a realistic effect on on sort of the light on their face and stuff like that, close ups and, and that type of stuff. Yeah.
1: And speaking of that, I don't know if you've seen, uh, speaking of the fact that they can see the environments, I don't know if you've seen uh ian mckellen when he's playing gandalf in the new hobbit movies how sick and tired he was of like running around in green screens he said like he hated the whole experience because like the first the early lord of the rings movies he was, they were kind of there in new zealand like getting their hands dirty but right like the hobbit movies he was just in a green room for for a couple of months and he said it was the worst experience and you can see like from the behind the scenes he's so fed up so yeah anyways That's um funny. yeah you should probably google that or youtube that so basically, um, Epic Games, they have Fortnite, they have, you know, we, we've talked about this on this podcast, on this platform, they have in-game concerts on Fortnite, and this is like a very, to me at least, very clear way of viewing the metaverse, getting, you know, online community or whatever. But with what I think, like the Scandinavian Mind podcast take, obviously, is uh, when building this Unreal Engine, like the 3D program, people it's free to download so people can make uh, movie settings like in the mandalorian and the batman but they Mm -hmm. can also create their own games like full games with you know like uh like an online mode or a story mode and everything so this is where i think this could be a way for game developers to get a hold of a great library of soundtracks you know to get integrated when they build the app so I think of it a good way to make use of cheap and variating music that's also not mainstream you know it's not attached to big contracts and labels and if you want if you want to build a game through unreal engine you want a sad piano track when a character dies probably there's some like cool piano guy on bandcamp that's that Epic Games mm. now owns, and they have that in the library.
0: Is this in any way connected to NFTs, or, or, or is there mention of, of NFTs or, or crypto ecosystem relating to this? Is, or
1: is I've never, is its read, own? I haven't. No, I haven't read anything about it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how that would play into effect. Because, of course, NFTs could be MP3 files and stuff. Of course, it can. But I haven't read anything about that. Mm. Uh, But anyways, like the guy, one guy that kind of opposes to what I'm saying and what I think they're using this for is um, actually yesterday, Music Business Worldwide, they have a podcast called uh, Talking Trends and Music Business Worldwide's uh, founder, Tim Ingham, he said that uh, this is Epic's way of telling Google and Apple to basically fuck off with their, (laughs) because they have kind of beef, you know, Apple and Epic specifically. Yeah, because we big, know, you know, they had this big dispute over the Apple Store.
0: Yeah. People
1: that forgot Apple takes around 30% of commission. When you buy something the Apple Store and Epic, they were just not having it. So they had a big feud, a big, uh, big argument in court even. So Epic, mm. they take 12% uh, commission of everything. And that was Apple's kind of big argument in court. Like, hey, you're really struggling on there. Like, you're not really profitable. So why would we take 12% when you're not doing so well? And they lost, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, Epic, that is. So Bandcamp, like I said, they charge around ten to fifteen percent, and they've been really profitable. They've been really—it's been going really strong since um, since 2012. So this this Ingham guy, he says, uh, I'm going to quote him directly here from the podcast. This all leads me to believe that the key factor in Epic Games buying Bandcamp had nothing to do with the metaverse or music's place within it, as trendy as a topic that it may be. I believe this was a simple strategic buy for Epic because it gives the company a powerful asset in its fight to force big tech, you know, Apple or Google, to reduce commission rates in their app store. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like Epic is so, they're so powerful. They're just buying this organic platform just to tell Apple and Google off, like, hey, you can't do this to us anymore. Which I thought was interesting.
0: I think like on a macro level I also think it's interesting I think it's interesting the connection you did with uh, Unreal Engine and and what's going on there is that there's so much happening in the gaming uh, space right now that sort of uh, you know trickles out to other industries and it's going to be super interesting to see especially when new generations uh, uh, comes up uh, you know my daughter is 11 she's on Roblox every day of course they're going to be adding services and experiences there are not just games, uh, that you know, related to entertainment and music and, and other experiences, and it's gonna be super because the you know, and this ties into the discussion on the metaverse. We, we don't have to go into that that much, but <laughs> you know, when you have a platform with such a strong um engagement rate from your users, it, it's only natural uh, that you would add different services, and if you if you also uh, are available to create you know virtual worlds or or experiences that are more like uh, immersive and in 3d uh, I think this is is super interesting and uh, maybe this uh, you know bandcamp um, deal is uh, just a step of the way and we'll see much more uh, development on this front
1: yeah of course and it could also be as easy as if you're a profitable company you want to expand your portfolio epic is like hey this this, you know, they want to take shares of the market. Like, Bandcamp is doing great. Let's just buy them. You know, it could be that easy. But mm. people have been talking a bit about this for two weeks now. Like, people just can't because I think Bandcamp is so it's so organic and people love it so much. They're like, oh, it's going to die. It's taking everything from us, you know.
0: All right. I just want to end the show uh, with a little bit of a testimonial from a local story here in Stockholm. Um, one of my favorite magazine retailers and actually my local magazine retailer, uh, 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 a local pressbyron here in central Stockholm uh, in the Mood Galleria has been run uh, by an iconic uh, uh, a person called Molin Lövgren. So anyone who buys, has, has, has bought magazines in Stockholm. Uh, The past uh, 20 plus years has probably bought magazines from Marlin and she's now shutting down uh, tragically. Uh, Just by coincidence, I happened to step into the store uh, the other uh, day, uh, the day before she she shut down and it was kind of... (laughs) Uh, surprisingly emotional moment for me because um, and and a true testament to what a local retailer can can actually mean in your life but I've been buying magazines I've been living in Stockholm for 21 years Um, uh, she has for the majority of those years been my local retailer I, I even remembered when talking to her talking about the various shops she's been running uh, around the, the uh, central Stockholm. It was called Prestop before that, and I think uh, even a different name before that. Um, uh, I, even, I, I even been buying magazines from her when, when traveling to Stockholm as a teenager, when, when she ran sort of the most uh, uh, well-equipped magazine store in Stockholm. Uh, I, I know, Roland, you have, have similar memories when I brought this up.
2: Yeah, no, uh I t- this is a testimony of how old I'm getting. <laughs> Which is <laughs> a bit weird, but uh I'm forty-four. I've been I, I've been buying magazines from Molly and earlier from her mother uh since I was fifteen. So that's that's I mean just count yourselves, it's many years. I remember actually on Kungsgatan central Stockholm they they had this this uh, magazine store her mother ran it Marlin used to work there extra you know she she was she's the same age as me so you know she she worked extra uh, after school in the in the in the store and actually what was interesting when they peaked there was this Wayne's coffee shop uh, just next doors yeah and uh, <laughs> this is how provincial Stockholm was back then but you know when Wayne's coffee opened up the first store in Kungsgatan, just next doors to press stop it felt like I was in New York or London you know <laughs> it felt so- yeah, it was crazy, you know, and obviously I was a teenager, hungry for just, you know, for, for, for anything new. But yeah, that, that's how provincial Stockholm was back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, Wayne's Coffee, obviously kind of like the first kind of uh, international type coffee shop we got star- m- 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 based on Starbucks and, and, and those types of places. I think uh, uh, she actually mentioned when I spoke to Malin the other day that that was the first Wayne's Coffee in uh, uh sweden so probably yeah, exactly. the first exactly it was the very yeah. first exactly yeah the, the the very very first so no, it's i sad. mean and yeah it's sad and uh right now in central stockholm there's no uh place as of today actually recorded on on march 18 uh there's no uh uh um you know well stocked magazine store you're going to have to take yourself to Kungsholman or uh, of course Soderman where there's a, a press baron and also our um, um, uh, retail partner Papercut of course which many people know about mm-hmm. and they have a great online store as well where you will be able to buy uh, the next issue of Scandinavian Mind starting next week but uh, just as a tribute to Mona and thank you for all your hard work. I, I, she said she was going on a longer vacation, just trying to take care of herself for a while. But I assume she will be back uh, in some format. Uh, uh, stocking Magazine somewhere. She has always been... Uh, uh, a strong supporter of, of uh Scandinavian mind and just previously that Scandinavian man always giving us a prime position in the, the store and uh, yeah you know giving us feedback from customers and asking about the next issue. So uh, a big and shout out to, to Molly. Without sounding too much like Monocle,
2: but I mean please support your local retailer. That's how you build communities, right?
0: Those are good parting words for uh, this week's issue of uh, Scanning My Mind Weekly. Uh, please follow us uh, uh, on uh, Instagram and our uh, social medias and also uh, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Visit ScanningTheMind.com slash newsletter. Next week, we will be uh, pre-launching our issue three, our third print issue. Uh, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll be out on paper cut store sometime next week. And I'm assuming we'll, we'll dedicate the next week's podcast to talking about that until then. Have a great weekend guys. Thank you. Thank you.